0: Hello, I'm Sarah Vine, and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Male Plus. I'm joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host, Imogen Edwards-Jones. Coming up on today's show, Taxing Nappies to Save the Planet, we talk to a green child-rearing author. Another Bond movie, does anyone care? Anymore? <sighs> oh, shut up, Imogen. <laughs> a Bond aficionado is going to try to change Vine's mind. And we're going to speak to Marianne Seacart about her new book on why women are still let, taken less seriously than men, probably because they're all a bit like me and therefore useless
1: you're so not useless what are you talking about
0: <laughs> no one takes me seriously anyway finally we'll find out what's in the stars for us this autumn but first a topic that has been on mine and Imogen's mind for some time thyroid mm. so Imogen
1: mm. thyroid Oh, gosh, yes, we've both got one of those. (laughs) Well, you've only got half of one. I've got half of one, And I've got one
0: that is absolutely useless, doesn't really do its job.
1: I know, but it's a very common thing in women of our age, isn't it?
0: It's interesting. Yesterday's column, in this week's column in Mm. the Daily Mail, I wrote a little thing, a little short, on how my doctor's surgery is not doing routine blood tests anymore. they They sent me a charming text message saying, we're not doing routine blood tests anymore. And of course, because I have a really underactive thyroid, I'm supposed to have a blood test once a year to make mm. sure that it's not gone all squiffy again. Mm. And I, I put that in the paper. And I have had so many emails from readers going, I too have a dicky thyroid. Yes. Uh, what can be done about it? So we thought we'd do something. Yeah, on it. I completely agree. Um, um, it's a really common problem for girls. I mean.
1: Particularly women who've had late babies, which yes. I did and my sister did, so if you had a baby over the age of 40, it's one of the first things that you should actually check afterwards.
0: Well, of course, hypothyroidism produces cretinism in children, in mm. babies. That's why they do that little pin-prick test when they're born, Yes. so that to make sure that their thyroid levels are correct. Anyway, we're going to bring in an expert.
1: Phew, thank God, not just us. Not just
0: us. <laughs> uh, is Lynn Minot, who is the CEO of Thyroid UK. Lynn hi. Did you hear our various complaints?
2: (laughs) I did, yes. Uh, Thyroid disease, especially underactive, is very common. So I'm not surprised that both of you have it. Um, Mm, Yes. It's it's about two in every hundred people actually have hypothyroidism, which is the most common. Which is the underactive
0: thyroid as opposed to the overactive thyroid. That's right. Yes, mm. yeah. I mean,
2: I think yes. I think mine
0: might have actually started when I was young because my hair all fell out. What are the symptoms? Yeah, exactly. D- could you tell it, take us through the sort of common symptoms? The basics. Because one of the reasons we're talking about it now is because Imogen and I were talking about Imogen's sister, mm. and we we suddenly suddenly we suddenly thought maybe that's She's what's just wrong with her. T-
1: very 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 tired all the time and t- slightly losing her eyebrows, which I think is a sign, isn't it?
2: It is, yes. Yeah. So tiredness is the most common symptom, but you can also feel very cold, dry skin, hair loss, Mm. poor memory and difficulty concentrating, constipation. Mm. Um, Weight gain is another one that's Mm. obviously important for us women. So yes, there's a a lot of symptoms actually. And the longer that you have it, the more symptoms you tend to get because it affects every cell in your body. I was only properly
0: diagnosed when I got pregnant Mm. and they did a load of blood tests and they said, Oh, that's not good.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: and put me on thyroxine because there's a problem with low thyroid during pregnancy, isn't there, Lynn?
2: There is. It's quite common during pregnancy. I think it's 2.5% of pregnant women will develop hypothyroidism. Mm. Um, I myself developed it after my, my first pregnancy. They should always be checked, especially if they they get extra tiredness. You know, well, the problem is you're you always tired
1: after you've had a baby. Yes. That's the, that's the problem. To distinguish. I know.
2: <laughs> this is part of the problem of diagnosis because it often happens after pregnancy when mm. you've got young children during mm. the menopause. And so often those are attributed to your symptoms.
1: I do remember my doctor saying to me the problem is with you women you think you can have it all which i remember being really quite angry about Yeah, i would
0: have hit him yes and
1: i think i might have done actually
0: no but the thing is i mean i remember when i had the menopause about five years ago i i sort of entered a perfect storm of having a really underactive thyroid then having all the other hormones basically packing up and going and getting out of bed in the morning felt almost Impossible genuinely mm, yeah, impossible, yeah, and the mental fug is extraordinary. Yes. it really does it really I was really struggling to think and remember anything,
1: but it was like someone had turned the color off, actually. It was like you yeah. were almost living in a sort of black and white world of television, sort of black and white. It was very weird. Do you always have to medicate, Lynn, or is there any sort of food that we can eat to make it a bit better?
2: There is a possibility that if you're not eating properly. Mm. that um, you have poor nutrition that can cause an issue for your thyroid your thyroid needs iron and zinc and Mm. selenium to be able to work properly so you know if you're not eating properly then that can be an issue and you might be able to improve that but the most common type of hypothyroidism is called Hashimoto's disease which is an autoimmune disease And that can come about often after a lot of stress. Right. And it runs in families. So unfortunately, if your mother has it or your auntie has it, there's a possibility that you'll get it as well. What about iodine? One is often told to take iodine. You do have to be careful with iodine because if you take it and you don't need it, it Mm. can make you hypothyroid. Really, in this area, iodine deficiency isn't too much of a problem. Hmm. But in other countries, it it can be, because it's not in the in the soil. And oh, so we like have we have it. So, we
0: have it. Generally speaking, yes. Because uh, because I was always told yeah. to try and take iodine to support my thyroid. But what causes it? Why why do so many women have it? There must be some reason why this is happening to so many. They, women.
2: I think, they don't they don't really know why. I think it's possible that we have more hormone activity, anyway. But they don't really know why more women get it than men. Because I've no, I've never come across
0: a man with hypothyroidism, have no. you?
2: No, it does happen though. You know, we we get a few men come to to us for help, but mm. it is it is mostly women, I must say. And what sort it's, of help do you guys of women. offer? Well, information basically, because pre-diagnosis, you're not sure what's going on, so we can. Mm help you with that after diagnosis the doctors don't really have time to go into it with you they just say oh take this little pill and you'll be fine but it can take a little while for instance to get balanced the longer you've been undiagnosed the longer it will Mm. take for your system to get back to normal and what's the website
0: called thyroiduk.org okay perfect well i think listeners who have this problem should go and have a look because you obviously have an enormous amount of information thank you so much for talking to us lynn thank you thank you That was Lynn Minot, CEO of Thyroid UK. I thought that was fascinating. So did I. This week, the idea of a nappy tax was mooted, helping to offset the damage to the planet caused by the billions of nappies which end up in landfill. But isn't this just another burden on hard-working parents? Joining me now is Sally J. Hall, author of Eco Baby, Watch My Baby Grow and Plant-Based Baby. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I have got myself in a bit of hot water because (laughs) well i have a thing about normal nappies which i which is i think that the idea of having a nappy tax which charges the consumer is Stupid. I agree that there's a problem with landfill and nappies making a mess of everything but I think the owners should be on the manufacturers to make their disposable nappies more ecologically friendly and I think that can be done very successfully through tax incentives and all of that kind of stuff. I think making the lives of working parents harder by making it impossible for them to buy disposable nappies is a sort of slightly bonkers idea but I'm guessing that you would disagree.
3: I do and I don't. I think that for for all of us, there are routes through to being a bit greener. I Mm -hmm. absolutely agree that the government should be doing more and the manufacturers should be doing more. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting to note that some of particularly the big manufacturers of nappies and wipes are heading towards phrases like plant-based outers Mm -hmm. and natural and things like that. But, I do really agree that there does need to be something done in, a, in a, a quite overreaching way from from government and the manufacturers to go towards greener nappies and there are a lot of alternatives out there mm. I think for most mums it 's about being pragmatic it 's for some mums, washable nappies are absolutely the way to go, and they don 't really need to be difficult to use. Mm-hmm. I think we 've got this, this idea that things need to be convenient and disposable. Mm. And that sort of lifestyle is, is really what's got us into this mess where, you know, we're putting thousands and thousands of nappies into landfill every but year. Sally, Sally,
1: quick question. So, sorry. Yeah. If you're washing a nappy, that still uses water and detergents and energy. and it's not, That's not devoid of eco impact, is it?
3: Absolutely. For everything we do, there's an impact. Mm. However, if you look at the amounts of energy used, if you're doing a a pretty decent wash with a load of nappies and you're using either something like EcoBalls, which uses no detergent at all, and you do it on a fairly cold wash, then you're doing the best you can. And I think for most of us, that's the the key. It's about doing the best you can. Mm. Even using one reusable nappy a day will save 912 disposable nappies from incineration or landfill. So I think you know we need to be a little bit pragmatic, but at the same time, it's all of our responsibilities to try to make sure that we're reducing
1: our waste. Is, as is much the, as is we the can. market really shifting though? Because when I had my children, much to Sarah's horror, I did use eco nappies. Not to my horror, I was
0: slightly <laughs> astonished that you had the uh, bandwidth to do. I mean, I think maybe I come from. I mean, I was just so exhausted yeah. when my children were small.
1: I mean, they, they, they weren't that good, to be honest. Mm. I mean, they no. were they were mm. like, like I did sort try of cardboard. No, like I tried them and they just yeah. got
0: terrible nappy rash. Yeah,
1: and they leaked everywhere. And they leaked everywhere.
0: Yeah. And my children had, for some reason, very explosive poos because they were very heavily <laughs> breastfed. <laughs> and they used to produce sort of a vast kind of geysers of sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. impossible <laughs> stuff that just couldn't... I mean, the norm, the sort of eco... I did do the eco-nappy thing. Mm. You had a sort of outer thing.
1: No, no, no. They, these were actually proper nappies that were, that were made of, unbleached cotton disposable eco was but I mean has that market changed I mean let's say Pampers market much smaller than it was is it reducing naturally or do we really need these incentives
3: I think that uh, there are some very good eco disposables now there's a really great little company that was started by former spice girl Emma Bunton called Kit and Kin which make eco-disposables that look like your kind of average disposable nappy Mm. they come in different sizes so you don't have so much of the problem with the you know the leaking out of the sides Mm. and the explosive poos up the back (laughs) there's a few good companies that do those some of them do use a bit of the, the most nasty of the plastic, the polyacrylate, which is the substance that sucks those, all the moisture the sort of from little, the nappy. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are the sort of things that absorb yeah, the liquid, yeah. yeah. So
3: that's a kind of plastic gel that absorbs the moisture from the nappy. So some eco-disposables do use a little bit of that, mm. so they're kind of not as green as they could mm. be, but others don't use any at all, mm. and they use FSC-certified wood pulp. Mm. So they're, you know, they're sustainable forestry, mm. The outers are made of nice plant based fibers, and those ones work very well on the washable side there's kind of three types there's the the old Terry squares, which you know our grandmothers used then there's all in ones, which is is a bit like you 've probably seen a, a sort of a swim nappy mm-hmm. with velcro or poppers. Mm-hmm. And then there's others which have two parts so you can
1: replace the inner part without having to wash mm-hmm. the outer part all the time. Mm-hmm. Is is the truth is with have, have we made nappies too comfortable mm. so that babies are never too long. Well that's the other thing <laughs> is is that
0: you do get children turning up at reception yeah. who aren't potty trained. Yeah. So I mean we
1: I... Absolutely, babies
3: never feel wet. So yeah. if you don't feel wet, that link between the brain with oh, I need to go to the loo mm. and then oh I've been to the loo it's not being made as soon, and and babies' brains are developing at such a, a high rate of speed mm. that they do need that signal for them to realise that you know that's that's one of that's the. That's very interesting. Body training. I think
0: that's a really good case for them. I remember when my daughter mm. and my son, so my daughter hated the the feeling of having a full nappy Mm. and and so she potty trained really really quickly my son because he was a sort of gross little boy basically was too busy looking at a toy Uh, and and yes and i think that idea of children not noticing because the nappies are so efficient Mm. at absorbing the moisture it's quite interesting What's the sort of price differential between one of the sort of Emma Bunting nappies and a sort of. Uh, the, or Emma Spice Lady. <laughs> <laughs> Emma well, I was looking at this. Um... <laughs> do you think that, but do you think there's a way that the government could be more proactive in perhaps making? Those eco nappies cheaper.
1: Well, there you go. That would be a good yes. idea. Yes. Yes.
3: Is that well? Yes. I mean, I was looking at the price points this morning, mm. and if you were to go for you know a full on online delivery of a month's worth of Pampers, for example, mm. it'll cost you about eleven pence a nappy. Right. And that's if you're buying in bulk. So that's pretty cheap. Mm. If you're looking at something like Bambo Nature, it's a bamboo-based eco-nappy. That's about 22p a nappy, so about double. Um, The Kiss and Kin came out at about 26p. Mm. So they're not prohibitive, Mm. but if you're on a really tight budget, Mm. you're not going to go for one of Mm. those. However, if you want to go for washables, there are some really great incentives to help you out. So a lot of the the London... um, uh, boroughs will actually give you vouchers towards buying, dispos- uh, sorry, washable nappies.
1: Really, really,
3: and you can even get them laundered if you want to, what? so you can use
0: a laundry service. I didn't know that. That's a very modern approach. How very chic! <laughs> very. <modern. laughs> they didn't have that in our day. No, that is the. that so so people don't really know about. So is there a sort of resource for all of this stuff? So if people want to be more. Eco.
3: Absolutely. So Real Nappies for London uh, works with lots of the London boroughs mm. to offer parents with babies under 18 months mm. a voucher. That gives you about £54 towards a start-up of reusable nappies. Now, I was looking at if you wanted to kit yourself out with a full lot of nappies from one of my favourite companies, Close Parent, who do some amazing washable nappies. Mm. A full kit of bed, so it's 10 nappies, some booster pads, degradable liners, cost you, cost you around £180. Mm. Now, it sounds like a lot of outlay, but then you take the £54 mm. off that, mm. and you then realise that that would take your baby from birth through to when they potty train, Gosh. and it starts to look a lot cheaper. Yeah you then think that that set of nappies can then go on to the second, the third, the fourth baby, you can then pass them on to a friend.
1: Fourth baby. fourth baby. fourth uh, baby. Are you insane? uh, uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean my fourth baby. I meant someone
1: else's.
0: (laughs) I just do love the idea of being the fourth baby and of everybody having pooed in your pants an awful lot before you get (laughs) (laughs) there. Well, I'm the
3: third of four, so perhaps that's
0: hardwired into me. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. I, I mean... I, you know, I, I think you're you're probably right. I just, I just, I what I really don't like the idea of is
1: penalising people. Is
0: penalising mm. people who are really busy, who are just yeah. basically only
1: absolutely. Um, and we're, we're made to feel guilty about mm. so much. Mm. We're already, you
3: know, the mum guilt on yeah, so many exactly. areas, and now we have to start thinking about what's in our nappy. Exactly, as well. and I
0: th- and I think that you know, one of the reasons nappies are so rubbish for the environment is because the manufacturers just take the quickest route, and then we all end up. Suffering. So, anyway, what was that website you said again? I've forgotten it already because I'm old. um
3: So, there's some great resources. The Women's Environmental Network is a really good place right. to look. That will give you lots of facts and figures good. about disposables versus washables. Mm-hmm. Real Nappies for London mm-hmm. is this theme where you can get that voucher. Mm-hmm. And then there's also places like the Nappy Lady, which is a company that will, you know, do a little consultation with you, mm. and you can then work out which are the best nappies for you and for your lifestyle. Okay. There's a nappy laundry service called Nappy Ever After, hmm. which is wonderful <laughs> Brilliant. love that. The eco-disposables are called Kit and Kin, those ones from Emma and There are lots of others no. that are like mm. Naty and Bambo. And for washables, there are lots of them out there. So
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Sally Jane. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. That was Sally Jane Hall, author of Eco Baby, Watch My Baby Grow and Plant-Based Baby. You're listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at MailPlus or me at WestminsterWag. The new James Bond film will be in theatres later this month after about sort of 73 reschedulings. <laughs> and this week we had the launch of a new trailer. But is anyone really excited by Bond anymore? Or has it become a dreary, woke echo of its former self, Imogen? What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, it is called No Time to Die. I think I've got no time to watch it, frankly. <laughs> I mean you could drag me there by my nasal hair, that's how keen I am on Bond. <laughs> is, it, is it Daniel
0: Craig still?
1: It is Daniel Craig. Although yeah. he's quite attractive and he wears nice, smart little he's got tiny He's nice bands. tight trousers.
0: Yes. I like that bit. Yes, yeah. that's the bit I and like. And he's awfully good on the top of a train. Yes. Along it.
1: There's just sort of, there's more, I mean, this one's the woke one. This is the one that's had Phoebe Waller-Bridge rewrite it. Oh, God. So, I know. So, I mean, you know, go girls, obviously, but... <laughs> but
0: uh, you I'm, see, I used to like Bond when he was really unwoke. Mm-hmm. So, when he would basically just grab the Girls by the back of their hair and drag them off into spaceships. So
1: the Roger Moore bond. and do the
0: sex with them. That was basically my kind of bond. Yeah. I'm not sure I really, I'm not really interested in bond of the conscience.
1: Well, at the whole point, it's a fantasy, isn't it? So therefore, exactly. therefore, why try and ground it yeah. in any form of reality? He was like
0: a posh superhero, basically. Yes, exactly. Very nice suit. Um, but anyway, I think that you and I might be in a minority of two because I think the chaps in the general world quite like Bond on the whole.
1: Well, I'm sure there are plenty of ladies who like Bond as well. Well, <laughs> anyway, so here
0: we are. To change Vine's mind is Bond aficionado. I Ooh, love that word. So do
1: I.
4: <laughs> Sean Hannon. <laughs> Sean, take it away.
1: Oh, dear. Good luck, Sean.
4: Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I am excited about Bond. I know you said you weren't. And uh, I've always been excited about Bond as a, as a kid. I'm in my late 40s now. And I, as you say, the film has been delayed. Still a kid, actually. Times. But yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, it kind of takes me back to my childhood, as you said earlier, about the you know, the older Bond as a kid, I liked Star Wars, but I grew out of that. And then Bond left an impression on me. And it's one of the only films I go to the cinema to see. And right. I think Bond has had, had to change with the times. I mean, Bond at the time was massive in the 60s, you know, the, with the Beatlemania and at the mm. height of kind of swinging 60s. Mm. And then obviously in the 70s, it went saucy with Roger Moore doing his one-liners mm. and his one-raised eyebrow. And then mm. in the 80s, they tried to kind of make it, you know, a bit before we all we knew what the Pierce term woke Brosnan,
0: we? We, we had, had Pierce Brosnan, didn't we? in the the
4: I mean, the whole big thing with Goldeneye, which, which Judy Dench was introduced to them when yeah. she said to Bond, you know, uh, you're a, a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. You're a relic of the Cold War. And so they were kind of acknowledging the fact that Bond came from another era. And, and obviously the new films are now more knowing about that. And they've taken that on board. Daniel Craig is mm. older. He's out of shape. You know, he's developed the character really well and given it a darker edge, which...
2: Mm. which I think a
4: lot of people want. I mean, it depends how you like your Bond. Do you like your Bond's dark and ruthless and edgy like the books? Or do you like them, you know, running over crocodiles and winking at you like Roger Moore in a safari suit? <laughs> I think it's escapism. I think it's people wanting to project their fancy onto it. You know, it's a man's dream, isn't it, to drive a fast car, wear a nice suit, you know, it's glamour. It's all the glamour. It's glamour. Can say no, 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 no. that? Can
0: I just say, you, you say that, but it's also my dream to drive a all fast mean. car <laughs> my well, no, and wear a nice suit and have not, guns saying, in not, my engine. Yeah, and
4: women as well. Because Disney's always been seen as a kind of man... A man's world, doesn't it? You know, I have female friends who love Bond and some can't stand it. It's, you know, I'm lucky that my wife, I usually drag her along to the cinema every time there's a, there's a Bond film out. So I'm excited well, about it. Well, you obviously chose your wife
0: very wisely. Well, I just don't was, know. I mean, the problem, the reason they've had to delay this so long, presumably, is because it's called...
4: No Time to Die. No Time to
0: Die. And yeah. well, we're in a global yeah.
4: pandemic. When the title came out, I thought the title was a bit disappointing. It did sound like a random Bond title generated. Yeah. They just stuck it into Google. My gut feeling, and I've kind of read a bit about this recently, is that, the plot is linked into a kind of virus, so I think it's like oh. some kind of DNA in a biological, is it, biological warfare. Is it still warfare,
0: Barbara so. Broccoli in charge? I of this one? Yeah, yeah.
4: I, I, met, I met
0: Barbara Broccoli once. <laughs> oh, she's she's, she's she's fabulous, mm-hmm. and her son who does a lot of it. Sean, I have to say, I love your enthusiasm, but I I'm not going to go and see it. <gasps> oh,
1: are you? I, you haven't changed really? my mind. No, you're not going to wait to Boxing Day. I <laughs> might,
0: well, I listen. I might watch it on the Netflix. Yes, or whenever it comes round on the telly with yes. box, which I'm sure it will do quite soon but i do hope that you enjoy it and you're very welcome to come and grab imogen's nasal hairs if you want <laughs> <laughs> i'm
4: just slipping into my safari suit as we speak Here.
0: excellent <laughs> thank you so much sean thank you, thank Lovely you very to, talk much.
4: to you thank you very much
0: that was sean hanam bond of Ficinado, and very enthusiastic i'd say promoter of bond but i just no he did not change my mind. Did he change your mind, Richard?
1: Well, I suddenly, th- I'd got a vision of myself with my tootsies up with some popcorn yeah, but in but that's because he was a nice chap. Well, yes, yeah. He was, a- I liked his enthusiasm uh, yes. for anything. Yes,
0: but you like anyone who's enthusiastic. That is true, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Authority Gap is a new book by mary Ann that describes how women are stripped of authority in today's world and what can be done to stop it. So I'm joined now by mary Marianne, mary hi.
3: Hi, Sarah. So tell me about your book. Well, the authority gap is a measure of how we still take women just that bit less seriously than men. So we're mm. much more reluctant to accord authority to women than to men. And that means that basically we assume a man knows what he's talking about until he proves otherwise, whereas for a woman, <laughs> it's all too often the other way around. <laughs> and uh, yes. So as a result, with women, you know, we tend to underestimate them, underestimate their ability, we tend to patronise them, we don't listen carefully to what they say or not as carefully as we do to what men say. We interrupt them, we talk over them, Basically, we challenge their expertise. And this is something mm. that happens so much less to men than it does to women.
0: That's so true. And you, of course, had years of experience with this because you used to work at the Times, didn't you? And, and I can remember being um, and I've worked obviously in newspapers all my life. And I, that thing of being in a, in a room with a group of men and probably being possibly the only woman or one of the only women and saying something and everyone just totally ignoring you. And then a man saying it and everyone going, oh, my God, that's the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Oh, and, you know, uh, that
3: happens so much to women, doesn't it? And the each time. time it happens, we think, oh, maybe I didn't make the point well enough or maybe I was a bit boring. Or, but actually, what I discovered in researching this book is that it is an actual systemic thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, so a bunch of researchers put a, a group of people into a room to discuss a child custody case and they gave mm. them lots of information about the family and they gave an individual member of the group a piece of information that the others didn't have. And mm-hmm. when that information was presented by a man, it was six times more likely to be taken up by the rest of the group than when it was presented by a woman. Six times.
0: And do you think that's because those groups tend to be predominantly male, or do you think it's something that women do to other women as well?
3: No, it's both. So this was genuinely a mixed-sex group, and I'm afraid yeah. women do it too, because we're just conditioned, you know, almost mm. from birth, to believe that you know men are more likely to be in charge, men are more likely to be expert, and we just associate male with authority. Much more readily than
0: we do female with authority. So we're sort of hardwired. Is there some sort of physiological reason for that? Is it sort of evolutionary reason why we are more likely to listen to men than women?
3: No, I I mean, it's quite easy to say, oh, it's all evolutionary, it's all to do with, I don't know, men Hmm. hunting and women gathering food or something like that. But I really don't think so, because if that were the case, then it would be the same in all societies at all times, right? Because it would just be completely wired into us, you know, through our, mm. our, our genes and our hormones. But that you do occasionally find matriarchal societies. Yeah. In which, so, so there was one great study done of competitiveness. People say, oh, well, men are more competitive than women because that's what they learned when they were hunting the Stone Age mm. or like. But researchers looked at a matriarchal society and a patriarchal one. And in the matriarchal society, the women were more competitive than the men. Mm. And what's more, the matriarchal women were more competitive even than the men in the
0: patriarchal society. So it's just so, so it's really just cultural. So, 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 really so just it is culture. just cultural. And so, do, what do you think is to blame? Do you think, think it's religion? Do you think it's? I mean, because I, you know, I think a lot of problems in the world come from religion, generally speaking. I think it probably started
3: with religion because if you know, if you're taught from the pulpit or or, or whatever the mm. equivalent is in a mosque, you know, every Sunday or every Friday that, that men are superior to women, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. start to believe it. Yeah. But it's also the way if you look at children and the way that they're socialised. So boys are much more likely to be invited to call out and answer questions in class than girls are. Boys are rewarded for talking and girls are rewarded for being well behaved and quiet. And silent. Yes, that's so
0: interesting because I was quite a vocal child and I was always called bossy by all my teachers. So I was always Ooh. labelled bossy. But if, you, if you're a girl and you have an opinion, you're bossy. Yeah, um, but
3: boys are never bossy, are they?
0: No. No, no, no. This yeah. is that that is really true. And it's true in the workplace and in life in general. If you're an outspoken woman, people consider you to be difficult or you're hard work or you're streperous. And whereas if you're a man, you're just asserting yourself. I mean, I think perhaps I mean I I don't yeah, I know you've got children, I've got quite young teenagers still, so minus sixteen and and eighteen. And I think their generation are much better at asserting themselves, the girls.
3: I think the girls are much better at asserting themselves. But I think really sadly that the boys are no less sexist, if anything, a bit more so, perhaps there's yeah. a bit of a backlash to the girls around them being so assertive.
4: And, you know, yeah. I had
3: really hoped that this problem would just sort it itself out with time and that, you know, your children's generation will be absolutely fine. And we just had to be a bit patient. But yeah. actually, you know, I interviewed some students about 20 saying girls saying the boys just don't see us as their intellectual equals. I mm. thought, what? These girls are outperforming boys all the way through school well, and all the way through university. I mean, it's yeah. there and in black and, and I think white. So, intellectual equals, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. there was a study yeah. done of um, biology students, and they were asked to nominate who were the smartest and best informed in their class. And girls did it very accurately. And mm. boys overwhelmingly chose boys, even if the boys weren't as smart and, or well informed as the girls in the class.
0: So, what do you think is the solution? I mean, I mean, I, I assume the purpose of writing the book is to kind of highlight the problem, but also maybe to just have a conversation about what can be done to try and improve the situation.
3: We've just all got to accept that we've got this unconscious bias, women as well as men. So, however liberal or intelligent or female we are, we probably are biased against women. And so, the first thing you've got to do is accept this is the case, and there's nothing you can do about the bias. But what you can do is notice when it manifests itself, and then do something about it. So. You know, notice if you're interrupting women more than men or if you're challenging their expertise more than men. Notice mm. if when you walk up to a man and a woman together, you automatically address the man first. You know, these are habits that we can change, but we've got to yeah. notice we're doing them
2: yeah. and definitely yeah. bring
3: up the next generation better.
4: Yes. And, if, and
3: actually, the, probably the most useful thing will be if fathers can get as involved in, 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 in the family and in sort of household chores and in childcare as mothers. So, that children yes, grow up seeing their parents as
0: equals. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I, you know, just looking around my sort of group of friends, it's always almost inevitably the case that the father's more engaged with the boys than they are with the girls. And I think if fathers were more engaged with their girls, that would probably really help.
3: That would really help. Do you know, I, I interviewed about 40 or 50 really, really successful, authoritative women for the book, as well as some yeah. who, who, you know, in normal life. And the one thing that united them was they said because I asked them all about their childhood, and they said my father really believed in me. That's really and and often my father. My father took you know taught me how to mend cars with him, or took me camping, or took you know. In other words, the father sort of absorbed this girl into a man's world from a very early age and showed that she could succeed in it.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think that's really important, actually, because I do, I do find that the families tend to separate out a little bit as the children get older, don't they? And the men, especially when girls become teenagers, fathers sort of almost back away because they're so sort of frightening and confusing and, and difficult. <laughs> and then they don't, you know, they don't lean in. And then that what happens is that there's this sort of gap. Well, it's all very fascinating. Anyway, thank you, Emma. That's, well, I just saw mary Ann. <laughs> I shouldn't have called you, <laughs> um, I, Hopefully, people will read your book and maybe we can try and change the world. Oh, just a let's small, do it. One person small at a ambition. Time we can. One <laughs> yes. time. Thanks very much for talking to us.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Sarah.
0: Thanks. That was Marianne anne with her new book, The Authority Gap, Why Women Are Still Taken Less Seriously Than Men and What We Can Do About It, which deserves a place on your shelf, I think. September is upon us. And what is in store? Therese Chung, Spiritist and author of the Encyclopedia of Birthdays and our regular astrologer, joins us now to tell us what's going to happen.
5: Well, astrologically, September dominated by the be your best detox, uh, self-improvement, wabi-sabi, beauty imperfection, articulate, analytical Virgo, September the 6th, we have a new moon in Virgo and new moons are always about starting from scratch. So, you know, Mm, it's time to really examine yourself and also let it go. You know, Frozen is opening in London, isn't it? So go and listen to that song. Let go whatever holds you back. But the key date for September for me is the 14th. And I've been saying this for a while for two Mm. reasons. Mars is in Libra. So we've got a kind of a tough, slower energy around then. But more so than that. Jupiter goes retrograde in Capricorn until mid-October, and is that a COVID plan- spike? Do you think? If there is one, it's going to be around then, um, or October the eighteenth or November the twenty-first. Around those times, when planets mm. go retrograde, it's because Jupiter is the lucky planet. So when it's direct, it's all more about confidence and purpose. But when it goes retrograde, it's about being realistic, being pushed to your limits, and a bit more of a negative energy. You know, we all know about Mercury rec- retrograde, where, you know, that Mercury is about communication. So that's a time, mm. you know, when there's often like computer glitches or mm. email crosswise or, or texting problems or whatever. But Jupiter's the lucky planet uh, associated with health, too. It's going retrograde until October the 18th. So, Watch out for that date, but that is a real time. Whenever a planet's retrograde, it's time to look within um, and focus on inner growth rather than the external. It really is important then. So up until September the fourteenth, go out there, do the self improvement, the classes. Do your details. You're taking but- notes,
1: Sarah.
0: I, I, sorry, I <laughs> sorry, what do you say?
1: Some classes.
0: Oh, sorry, yes. Zumba much. or well, something you know me. I'd love a note.
1: She likes so, but, a class. I, I just,
5: so for Monday, a new moon is a really powerful opportunity for fresh start. So, to go through the signs Aries, tie up loose ends on Monday. Virgo, yeah. um, it's a bit more time for you to be a bit more hedonistic.
1: Good. Um, more, or, disco more disco dancing. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Sorry, I meant t- Taurus, be a bit more hed- hedonistic. Gemini, you know, time for renovations of your living space. Cancer, speak up, time to really speak your truth. Leo, you know improve your income it's about finances for them the Mm. new moon virgo more self-care leo time a bit more daydreaming relaxation maybe for that sign scorpio networking key sagittarius career and purpose focus on capricorn it's a more an assertive power again like the cancer aquarius time to be more grounded pisces teamwork those are just key words for the new moon this Mm. monday for those for the 12 signs um sort of as a starting
1: point for where you can start from scratch look at those areas looking at at what the planets are saying. So if you're in the circus maximus, would you say thumbs up for September or thumbs down for September?
5: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm tending towards some, you know, horizontal, slightly downwards.
1: Oh,
2: Teresa!
5: No, 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 Starting (laughs) upwards, starting up. But as always, free will and whatever happens can intervene. As I say, the future's written in the stars and fixed, but it can be changed. And it's all about how we, we react. You know, I do think maybe more measures to to protect ourselves would help now that, you know, we've got to all be very aware of the impact of our actions on others. Mm. Then it sums up, but it is veering towards some horizontal September the 14th. And after that, it could go up or down, Mm. depending on our actions. Jupiter Mm. retrograde, you know, a lucky planet going retrograde. Just, mm-hmm. just be aware. That's when you're going to be pushed to your limits. And you need to be realistic. I think realism is very important from mid-September. With, yeah. Up until next couple of weeks, okay, go out there. Do I have to say, I already do. feel
0: like I'm pushed to my limits.
5: <laughs> I know. Maybe I,
0: I'm going to find new limits.
1: Yes. You know,
5: that's, <laughs> in fact, Aries, though, Aries always feels like that. That's the joy of the sign.
0: What? The, the they they to know push limits. to the limits.
5: Well, if if, if there aren't any limits, they'll create one and to push themselves. Yes, that's true. That's That's true. We complain a lot about
0: the limits, but then if there aren't any, you're absolutely right. We go out and find some limits and push them.
5: (laughs) Well, Teresa, thank you. <laughs> um, well, Imogen will give you limits. You see, that's, yes. a, that's why it's such a Imogen. She's never. She doesn't
0: know what a limit is.
5: <laughs> I know that she does, but that's exactly Libra because they, they are so trying to sort of like make sure they are so about the teamwork and about making sure everybody has a voice and is happy. Mm, but that's why yeah. it's so perfect because you two are complete astrological opposites, Aries and Libra. Oh. It's a, it's really interesting. Are you saying we're a dream
1: team, Teresa? Is yes, that what you're saying? Yes, we're you actually a dream I'm, team. I'm, Oh, I mean, I need to do
5: more details about your rising sign and moon sign, but uh, from sun sign perspective, yes, because you are opposites astrologically. Oh, excellent. Um, yes, so, well, in fact, it's
0: true. Also, physically, Imogen is beautiful <laughs> and blonde, oh, and shush. I'm slightly... <laughs> And dark and and a bit beatlish. Anyway, Teresa, on that note, I shall say goodbye and we will speak next week. And, 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 you know, I'll try and find some limits between now and then. Yes, do. Know your limits. I know my limits. Thank you so much. Take
5: care of yourselves. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Bye. 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 If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster WAG also tweet Imogen at Imogen EJ. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thank you for listening.